So where can you purchase eco-friendly fashion items from t-shirts to coats, wallets to duffel bags, and everything in between? GrapeCat.com. Better than an online shopping mall, GrapeCat.com is an online vegan retail store whose brands cause the least impact on your budget and the environment. If you believe we all should dress compassionately, visit GrapeCat.com. That's G-R-A-P-E-C-A-T.com. Hi, this is James Lucas, and this is a vegan fashion and business podcast. Creating a vision, seeking our passion. Great cat, compassion, fashion. Made in the US, eco friendly. High quality without getting all spendy. We create the best, bringing it to you. Shirts, coats, wallets, everything we do. Dress with compassion, we're a vegan store. Grapecat.com for more. Hey, Grape Cats. I'm James Lucas, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Grape Cat Vegan Fashion and Business Podcast. More and more conscientious consumers are looking for earth-friendly clothing and accessories. At Grape Cat, we make it easier for our customers to find what they are looking for all in one place. We do extensive research and bring high-quality animal and environmentally friendly products to you through our online store. If you are looking for products that make a difference, visit GrapeCat.com today. On today's podcast, I talked to Demetrius Bagley, producer of Educated and Crowdfunding Master. Demetrius talks about why he went vegan, his experience working on Vegucated, and gives some tips on how to run your own crowdfunding campaign. Here's Demetrius. How and why did you become vegan? For me, it was a spiritual shift uh, over 20 years ago. I started, I had questions about my physical health. And that led me to read Fit for Life, which was a bestseller in the 80s. That's about diet. I believe it's a Whole Foods kind of book. Uh, I don't know that it's all vegan. I feel like it it was definitely pushing vegan, but I don't feel like it was vegan. I feel like there was some uh, omnivorous items in there. But it definitely was talking about whole food or whole foods even, um, sort of plant-based before we got there. So what I decided to do was not go vegan after I read it and made some really strong statements and uh, compelling uh, word images, particularly around farming of uh, cows, is I said, okay, I'll cut down my dairy by 20%. Um, I drank a lot, a lot of milk and otherwise consumed you know, cheeses, butters, ice creams, etc. But I drank a lot of milk because milk does the body good and it was that campaign was still ascendant at that point it hadn't gotten anywhere near its peak and i when i got to that fifth use or getting ready to skip that fifth use of milk i think in cereal one night it was summer 1993 my body uh revolted and didn't want any more milk a very weird kind of situation and so i was like oh am i getting ready to give up dairy and then with not even a handful of days uh, I started pondering, or, no, or hours really, going vegan, and then within that handful of days after that incident, um, which was just so peculiar, because I'd had so much milk up to that point, but there were a lot of things going on in my life at that point. Um, I never had another glass of, of milk, actually, after that, or even uh, intentional sip, 
And I started going, this was July or August 93. I was vegan at the end of that year, so January 1st, 1994. But for me, it was reclaiming energy. What was, uh, what was I ingesting in my body physically? Um, what was I participating in as far as uh, factory, factory farming um, and when animals are uh, killed? For their flesh, uh, quote unquote, so-called meat, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't. I was consuming that vibration, and I didn't necessarily want to be a part of that anymore. Um, it's kind of a shift to peace, if you will. Um, and I knew that was clearly better for the animals. Um, a lot of what I read in Fit for Life and other articles just kind of randomly popped up. It was better for me, and then I knew it, if it was better for the animals, it was better for the planet. And I grew up in a very crunchy kind of eco household. So that was really appealing to uh, be able to do less harm um, to the planet or even to nature, capital N. And for me, those that goes with animals and vice versa. So that that's how I came into veganism. Um, underlying all that was this very key thing I think I just hinted at was how does energy work? And not really in a science way, but definitely in this more kind of esoteric spiritual way of uh, peace and not so much anger and hate and toxicity and cancer uh, as far as a health thing and also lo uh, certainly love. How do we get to more peace and love? If we're eating murder and death, I don't think that necessarily <laughs> makes that an easier pursuit. So all of that, and, and more clear-headed than I'm probably relaying here, but all of that was actually very, very clearly crisply going through my head and a lot of reading materials and people were showing up in my life uh, in this very disconnected or pastiche kind of way that nudged me uh, on this path. And I had considered it before, I, should, I do want to say. I'd heard the idea. I liked the idea of vegan. It just came back into my life very suddenly. And off I went, off of <laughs> omnivorous foods, I went to vegan over not even six months, but almost six months. I transitioned away from all of that. Did you do it by yourself or was it a group? Did I you did have it, support? I did it by myself. The thing for me that I hear from a lot of vegans, even, and certainly even vegetarians at the time, I know that was a deal. Um, I did it by myself. I had one key supporter, a college friend, um, who would eat with me in solidarity and was actually one of the many catalysts uh, for me to kind of go this very, quote, spiritual route or change which a lot of it was around veganism but there were other things going on what was key for me james is i didn't have opposition it was very open road for me so it was just figuring out what i needed to do how i wanted to do it you know what to buy what to let go of how to change how my eating plates and bowls you know what's in them uh eat the rainbow is one of the best uh, eating rules i'd ever heard uh, maybe not the eloquent before i went vegan but certainly as i was going vegan and after uh, and, and that basically means eating more fruits and vegetables, or vegetables and fruits, say, in the other order and, and different means. But more color on the plate and not everything being these kind of muted, processed, or even over-processed. Um, that was key. So, yes, I had one key supporter. A lot of information showed up. But what I think was key from what I hear from numerous people, particularly these family situations, um, and even spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends, I didn't have any opposition whatsoever. It definitely was a very uh, 
battling with myself and somewhat with the status quo of society. But even that was not, um, not as I was transitioning. After I became deacon, then there became some more uh, skirmishes, if you will, or battles. But I really, really did have a very open road and was led to, uh, from my point of view, going vegan. What are the biggest lies, myths, and misconceptions about veganism? That it's expensive, that it's not for all people, that one can't be healthy and even strong, as we've certainly seen from a number of vegan bodybuilders uh, and other athletes uh, at all levels, Olympic and otherwise. So those are some of the biggest, uh, from my point of view. There are many others uh, that the animals wanted, God intended this, uh, for us to to live in this way and to kill them uh, for their bodies or carcasses. Do you think the number one reason people fail at being vegan is because they don't have the support? I think so. I, I really do. Just what I've seen, uh, even in the last three years, you know, after, after Veducated's come out. Uh, but not so much from that, ironically. I think people get that message the movie and some of our materials and other movies out there. I see it a lot from meetup members organized a meetup for over 11 years now and i've seen people drift um you know out of a relationship or into a relationship and that uh and and then their family you know gets charged out blood family or maybe their quote-unquote in-laws so i see that that seems to be a, a people move they leave colleges or pardon me leave metro areas certainly uh, working at college or some such or higher ed or maybe even just being in school those are where i see the a lot of shifts back to omnivorous or pescatarian or vegetarian or whatever uh, diets. At the same time, I do see shifts going the other way into vegan. The number one, I think, way to stay vegan is have community and support as far as a system. That's the biggest thing I've seen. I know there are other things out there. What is a step someone could take today to become vegan? I think doing meatless Mondays, even vegan before six. Some people do vegan after six since they're at home and they have more control over their kitchen and certainly their home and what's coming in and out. So-called baby steps or just gradual. This idea of flexitarian, flexitarianism that's uh, sweeping the country, the U.S. or even the Western world, maybe the whole globe. I think it's fascinating. I think it's great that we have, uh, at least in the U.S., reached a peak uh, of eating animals and that we're really... Uh, retreating from that very steadily in the last few years. So just eating more. There's so many vegan options in the stores now and out on the street at many favorite restaurants, whether they're vegan, veg, or omnivorous. I see more and more sandwich boards on uh, sidewalks, the the chalkboards that sit you know, kind of knee height. And they a lot of times I'm now seeing vegan salads, vegan appetizers, and or soups on uh, places that serve steak, fish, or what have you. That That's a definite uh, here in New York City. I've seen it elsewhere, but I've been very surprised and pleased to see that in New York City. So there are options. Every, everybody needs to eat more veggies. Everybody, including including us vegans. <laughs> How did you get involved in Veducated? Veducated, um, like a number of things in my life, was right place, right time. I knew that I wanted to produce film or even media. And Marisa was at the point, the filmmaker of Educated, writer-director, and many other hyphenates <laughs> that one I always list out. I was looking for a next big challenge. I had done a big vegan political fundraiser in New York City 
Kentucky, involved with the governor at that point, Patterson. And after I kind of recovered from that, uh, it's a lot to put together, big events, and certainly and more so films and other such things. I kept putting out in this, um, jokingly I say this, NYC Vegan Mafia group that Marisa had co-founded. I'm looking for a next big challenge um, that would be income-oriented. Does anyone have anything? And I, I kept, kept pushing that every meeting. I think we're meeting every other month or every season. And she and I spoke uh, with the turn of the month, May or June 2010. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't really know who you are professionally. I know who you are community-wise as this meetup organizer personally. And so I, a lot of my professional background is in marketing and brand. A lot of it, the well, well over the majority. And so we chatted at length that evening after the meeting, and then she sent me a copy of Educated. It had the name Educated at a point by way of this group uh, a couple meetings prior. And she wanted my two cents. And then two months later, we sat down, and she asked me to come on and be a producer of the film, quote-unquote, the other producer of the film, uh, arguably the small business producer as opposed to the creative technical producer. That Frank Metasca, the, the the daddy of the film. I'm kind of the stepdaddy of the film, and so I've been working on Educated since quote unquote August first, 2010. What's the biggest lesson you learned about producing a movie? It's funny you ask that. I've been chewing on that a lot lately because it's been over five, five, almost basically five and a half years as we hit the calendar here. I think the biggest lesson for Marisa and I as a a duo for our timelines because she's worked on this film way longer than I have is the power of asking certainly that relates to crowdfunding which we could talk about if you want today um, but the asking people to watch the film to think about veganism to consider it I mean the film in many it does many things I think uh, and certainly I've heard from people but one of the key things it does is it really uh, it doesn't set out sincerely to convert anyone that's a very tricky thing to do with media and maybe even in person with speeches etc but what marisa did set out to do and i think achieved and part of why i was excited to sign on to the film and have continued to stay with the film just asking people to think and consider the, all these benefits of veganism and people have really uh in a, a in a pleasing, in a humorous, in an open dialogue, in a very liberal arts, we're both liberal arts college grads, that, that's the biggest lesson is how that asking in the film and asking around the film for crowdfunding and in many other ways, uh, certainly social media being a key one there, the, that asking is important, asking can feel very scary, asking is how it really all changes, but asking and asking is very powerful. And this is what right a lot of vegans are doing in their own right. So whether it's the food or the leaflets or businesses like your own or what and in combinations thereof and certainly other things is we're asking people to consider to try or to shift away from where we're at for the benefit of all life, capital L. But asking for me, uh, I think, is the, the the biggest lesson in the myriad of ways. Many emails I have written differently to try to be peaceful and mindful that people are in different spots, um, whether looking for sponsorships, whether responding to questions about how can someone ease into veganism or how is someone supposed to give up eggs and or milk. Uh, the list goes on and on. Those are probably the three or four most common. But just asking people to consider and that kind of adding a question mark on it 
has um, a new look for me that I'm still kind of sorting through and figuring out uh, as I move on to other projects post-vegucated for me. What do you wish you knew before working on vegucated? I think the key thing, the answer that occurs to me, which funny enough was in my mind before vegucated was even on my radar as a potential uh, involvement, is I wish I'd had a greater repertoire of simple, quick meals to make for variety. I certainly have my bachelor standard. I'd call I call red sauce on a pasta, uh, shape usually spaghetti proper, and then broccoli. But um, it was just Marisa and I overall, with a vendor here and there, from kind of 2010 on uh, for almost three years, or two and a half, about two and a half years, and really still is uh, largely us, besides the bookkeeper and lawyer and a couple others, uh, the warehouse. Uh, I, I wish I'd had a better repertoire of cooking. I still do, even now, kind of move away. Um, and I have been nudging that. That's the, as odd as that sounds. Uh, some of that has to do with cooking as cathartic for me, and it gets me off the computer for you know X number of minutes. Uh, and I don't take my phone in the kitchen in general unless I need a recipe there, but that's a newer development. That's the biggest thing. I think the biggest habit I wish was getting out to the gym, partially for other people and social. I've worked at home almost the whole entire time I've worked on Vegucated. The first year-ish I didn't, but once we world premiered, I never went back into a, a cubicle land, as I call it. Uh, I've, I, had, I worked full-time on Vegucated for that first uh, two plus years. So the habit was be going to the gym, certainly for the exercise and the additional brain power uh, and just health, but also just for to see people and to get out of the house, fresh air and sunshine. So that's a working at home thing though. I kind of knew, but didn't put into place. How would you explain crowdfunding to a newcomer? Crowdfunding, I feel like is this amazing under uh, underutilized i want to say but maybe it's just not considered enough i don't uh encourage everyone to jump into it it's not something to jump into it's a pretty deep i wouldn't say pool but i would say ocean it is a fantastic way if you have the wherewithal to fund a new phase of business or even a project or initiative it's not just about money it's also a it's proof of concept if you can put together that pitch and the rewards and a you know, reasonable goal, which is the dollar amount, you know, you're after, and there are more pieces after, you really can realize a new pop-up, uh, a new phase of business, a new location and venue, um, a new product line, extension of products, a reboot of a a product, maybe even a service, and the list goes on, of course, of creative projects. Fantastic and powerful way to realize a project or a phase of business, not an entire business. That's not, in general, realistic, unless it's a very, very small business. Even though we are talking about, quote-unquote, the quotes here, lots of money, in terms of an ongoing business, it's not that much money that most raise. Um, and we have to look away from the, the Zach Brofs and the Spike Lees and Veronica Mars ones, and, and as well as the tech devices. The key really is to look at, well, there are many keys. It depends on where people are coming from. But it's, it's a great leg up, as they used to say, for the money for sure, if one gets there. But also because to get the money, you have to let so many people know, more people know about 
what you're doing, including people for sure that you don't know, uh, because you're going after a crowd to support and fund your project. Uh, you being hopefully a team. Those are a number of thoughts about a crowdfunding uh, for newbies, if you will. What's your key piece of advice on crowdfunding? It's a lot of effing work. It's not hard work. It's not easy work. It's voluminous in a way that was shocking. It's still shocking, and I've done it now almost a dozen times. It's just so much work. The the funny thing is a lot of the work is it's a lot of commu- – it's almost all communications. There's a fair amount of thinking and good quality thinking that has to uh, happen for the editing and the writing and, and the creating the rewards. But the, the volume of work, a lot of people really kid themselves – and so I've, I have been that person to go back and say, I told you so. And it's out there on the web. You can find I have an article on vegan business media where I very clearly say, I think once, not twice or three times. It's a lot of work. And so people don't prepare themselves. Uh, so I've seen a lot of campaigns fumble in the middle um, or at the beginning, even at the end. Um, and I've certainly seen a number of them fight. Uh, at different periods they realize oh i really have to you know kind of push the car up the hill or across town or down and around the block it is like pushing a car that's off the engine is off but as, if you've ever seen that in in real life or even in a youtube video or whatever once you get that momentum going you know kind of the quote snowball effect if you can get it to snowball and then go downhill then it will move but to get it up that you know mixing metaphors hill or to get it to move where it's moving rolling by itself it takes a lot and some of that i think is asking for money and fear and not necessarily understanding the process and also understanding what it is and isn't it's not a huge payday you're not going to become a i use this name uh caution (laughs) donald trump through it but certainly you can achieve and realize something uh, or some things a a great campaign should ripple once you've got that money once you've fulfilled the rewards once you've spent the money on however you say you're going to spend it it should ripple forward from there to other projects other businesses other business phases new connections new allies and and this is not particular to crowdfunding i think this is more particular to having success in business Um, that's very public and very visible Right? A lot of successes we don't know for any given business of any size, whether it's the micro business, a, a, a small business, or a multi-million or billion dollar business. In fact, right, most of the times we know the successes for the huge businesses are because they have to report into the SEC and the, the Wall Street games and opinions, etc. But the key piece is please know and please do not kid yourself. It is a lot, a lot of work on top of whatever else is going on in your life, personally and professionally. It's sort of a, it's almost like loose analogy here, working retail during the December holiday, or let's say Thanksgiving through New Year's, on top of having another job, and then whatever else is going on in your personal life, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, whatever. That's intense to add a whole other full-time job on top of whatever else you're doing. And what, intense might be an understatement. What keeps you interested in crowdfunding? That you can come back for different phases of business, that you expand your audience, you connect with people, uh, contributors and otherwise, uh, and other businesses, organizations that you wouldn't have necessarily connected with otherwise. You have to put, you, you are very much putting yourself, whatever you're pitching out there, 
That's hard. I think there's a, a fair amount of overlap. And this is a new thought for me of the ways where most people are uh, terrified to speak in front of people. I think there's some a lot of overlap from the kind of quote emotional angle of what's going on in crowdfunding. You're putting yourself front and center, quote unquote, in front of the world. I mean, not necessarily literally. Literally, it's arguable there, right? All 7 billion or even the half online, 3.5 or whatever, are not going to see your, your Kickstarter or Indiegogo. But you have to put yourself out there. Uh, I'm not sure about the vulnerability. That's an interesting debate. But you've got to put your, you and your team out there and your project. And a lot of these projects, I'm sure you've seen and probably people listening have seen, these are dream projects or phases or realizations so there's something very tender and very uh, very open uh, and yes to some extent uh, certainly varies from what i've seen experience a uh, vulnerability and yet people show up uh, when when they know about the project and then they want to support the peep the person and or the the realization of the project or business phase and onward we go i've seen that with vegan mashup i lived that three times with vegan mashup uh, vegan cooking TV show on public TV in the U.S. And that has been amazing. And it's also amazing, you know, really Betsy should be getting five, if not ten times that much to do what she's doing. But because it's a project she loves and because she really is not coming at it from such a capitalist point of view, uh, so just keeping in mind we're talking about crowdfunding still, She's able to get these episodes. There are now 18 episodes out in the world and online for people to uh, buy online but watch. Otherwise, when they come across it on public television, you know, public television is certainly about free and not necessarily having a cable subscription and that whole damn. So uh, that's just one example and certainly one that's somewhat personal as well as professional for me. But that is amazing. Um Seeing people show up and, and to dare and be courageous and and risk um, something about themselves or their dream or their, that's been amazing to experience. Uh, sometimes amazing to, to to be beside and certainly just to see as a contributor. Otherwise, and I also love that we're seeing so many more. This is besides crowdfunding, but I'm bringing it back in. There are so many vegan businesses out there these days and counting. And so one of the ways to really kind of see is this something the marketplace wants or the world wants or some people want is to do a crowdfunding project. Uh, a number of projects that uh, crowdfunds have been very successful. They didn't do it for the money. They did it as a proof of concept. How much do people want this product that we have? We, we kind of know, but now we want some data. We want some names. We want, quote unquote, testimonial quotes and that kind of thing. But they wanted it in an organic way, I'll call it. And more is what keeps me excited and interested about crowdfunding. What drives you mad about crowdfunding? I prob there are many things, but they all add up to people do not, they're not, they don't come prepared. And some of that I'm biased because Maurice and I came probably over prepared to the kind of the Kickstarter game for, um, but it was new then. There hadn't been a huge vegan campaign. Uh, there hadn't even been a lot of Kickstarters or, or crowdfunding campaign. It was, it was the hot new thing. We had to have more money. We had nowhere else that we could find to turn or turn back to. And and we were getting thumbs up to do this campaign, but we were terrified even after the campaign started and was off to a very very roaring start, a good, a roaringly good start. 
we were terrified. It's asking for money, and we didn't know if we are going to get money. We thought we could get a few bucks, so to speak, but we didn't know if we could get a lot of bucks, which I, w- I would say we did. Uh, we asked for 20 we got 40. We really kind of needed 30, 33, if I recall. So it, it was a, it was a success there. We did a lot of homework, James. Uh, I think anybody that's in business crowdfunding and, and crowdfunding is just one of many ways to fund and structure and even market and promote a business. I don't see enough people do their homework. I, I appreciate that some people and including me and some other under some other hats need to just jump in and figure it out as we go. We don't read the instructions. I guess this might be, I know this is supposedly a guy thing, but we don't read the instructions before we, as I did earlier this week, pull the food processor out of the box and then start using it. Some people just do need to jump in. They're not going to do the homework or the hundred page business plan or the two page executive summary or the, the pitch for the whatever crowdfunding unfortunately does not allow for that that pitch is everything and so is a reasonable goal amount and then so is the rewards and then it goes on from there but you've got to have those right i've seen great pitches i've seen great you know maybe un, under uh, under the number that i would ask for for goals but then i look at the rewards or lack of rewards i'm like these are just ugh. I don't want these for free, so why would I pay for these? But I do want to see this project realized. But then that makes me question, did they kick the wheels on this? And that, that cliche, did they talk to people in their family and in their inner circle? Did they talk to a couple people who don't have any stake in it that will tell them the truth as they see it? So what makes me most mad, people don't come prepared for business. Consumers are very savvy these days and counting and of course, can Google and Facebook and tweet you out in a second, right? All these airlines are getting called out for lost luggage and delays, et cetera, that, you know, that aren't necessarily weather or unavoidable. And so there's a way that customer service or even just being in business to me overall, service and business to me are very linked. That's just got to be better. I see a lot of crowdfundings that are remind me of cakes that need to bake for an hour, but they're pulled out of the oven like 12 minutes in. That's not something you would eat or I would eat, right? I mean, if someone out there wants to eat that, go for it. I wouldn't. It's not something I would serve. It's not something I would sell. I'd like to put it back in the oven if you can. But sometimes with a crowdfunding campaign, once you've hit hit live, it, it, things change. The, the timer has started ticking. The one thing I want to say to thread back through all that crowdfunding um, and then maybe lean a little forward is it is like running a marathon. Digest what that means for you. It is like running a marathon. Running a marathon is no joke. I have not run one, but I've taught many friends who've run them. It's not a joke, folks. 26.2 miles preparing for that and walking that, much less running it, which is what nearly all of them do. That is huge. So I'll leave that there. Please come better prepared, if not penultimately prepared. What are a few resources you would recommend to someone looking to start a crowdfunding project? Look at other campaigns that you like and or you've heard as well that you like that hopefully you've contributed to, even if it's a buck um, or a pound or euro or what have you. Also look at some successful campaigns that seem similar to yours. That's exactly what Marisa and I did. 
but we did like dozens, if not hundreds. And we made up our own little stats and averages and, you know, what are people doing for rewards, rewards level. And we really studied it. I don't know if you need to go as <laughs> intensely or deeply as we did, but look at what's working and then look at a few campaigns that you also know about or hear about or if you if, uh, that didn't make it. How, what did they miss? How close did they get? Most campaigns have something going for them when you uh, that have uh, you know, come and gone, successes or not. Successes being ones that reach their goal or on Indiegogo at least get some money. Think about what did and didn't happen. And and I mean like think, like don't like like really dig in there deep and dissect, let me say, what's going on. It's crucial you bring those findings to your Kickstarter or Indiegogo or GoFundMe or, or pa- Patreon or whatever. When you put together a solid campaign and you go out there and ask folks, you will get somewhere, hopefully to your goal number. But that's the combination. Um, besides looking at campaigns, um, without tooting my own horn, an article on a webinar that's out there. I'm not sure that I uh, – you can Google. There are numerous articles out there. Uh, don't be married to their numbers or averages. You don't necessarily know what data sets they looked at. For me, James, it's a little bit less resources. There are many things you can Google. It's is is the whole thing fit together clearly and coherently. And once you start drafting it and writing it and rewriting it, keep giving it to people before you launch to really get them again to kick the wheels. You want this thing to be solid, you want it to be airtight, not unlike a house, the four walls and the foundation and the roof. Right, you don't want any leaks in it, because when it's solid, you can invite people in to stay the night or stay, you know, more, multiple nights, or you know, come in, you know, and check out what you've got in this quote-unquote sort of open house on the web. But now, if you have walls missing, people kind of go, "Well, I don't know if I want to contribute to this. I don't know if this is going to be successful. I don't know if this money is just you know going to vaporize into thin air, or you're going to really do something with it." Is this film Vegetator going to come out? Is Mashup going to be on air? Are you going to have this coconut bacon, you know, dazzle people across for phony baloney across the nation? And the list goes on and on. People want to support. It is amazing. But you've got to come with things solid. So the resources to me are more about what's already out there that did and didn't work. And then get people to look at your materials, particular ones that are not yes people that are not just going to say something nice to be nice that are going to be more critical that are going to really push and challenge you because if you're ready for them right and they know you then you'll be ready for the people you don't know that will ask you all sorts of questions that you may not have thought of uh, which is fine you don't need to think of everything as soon as we came out with educated people were like what's your plan to world premiere you know will you come to xyz city will you make that a, a one of the reward levels no was the answer without going to the background of that. But that actually spurred some other uh, conversations from Maurice and I and some other ideas for rewards uh, and some questions, some some answers to how did our tour look and when we were going to world premiere. Because when we launched the campaign, we didn't know. And we were kind of at that point where we had to figure out what's next. Um, I don't know if there are any. I'm sure there are books on Amazon. I'm not familiar with any of them. Who has had a tremendous impact on you? There are many people. The first one that comes to mind, bias for sure here for the timing, is Miyoko Shinner. Uh, Miyoko was here last night in New York City together a, a book signing and tasting for her. I've been vegan for over 20 years, so the, the key, as I said earlier, was for me, I wanted out of dairy. I wanted a divorce from dairy. 
uh, and thought of it that way then and still do. Uh, and obviously it went beyond the dairy. So I divorced cheese. I was like, bye, see you never, peace out, I'm good. And for her, well, let me go back. And barely two years, not even two years after that, she had now in Zen a restaurant open in San Francisco in Japantown. And she was just doing phenomenal things even then with cheesecakes and bacon, uh, which I believe was tempeh bacon before. I think even uh, it was a product on the market or easy to find. She had Unturkey out, which was a rival to Tofurkey at that point, and a good few other products. She had a, so a factory, a manufacturing going on. I believe there was a cookbook about that time or before that. And then she had this restaurant. And the restaurant really confused a lot of omnivore friends with her cheesecakes, which it confused me even. Uh, and at that point, I had more of a crisper memory of what uh, some of these major brand names of uh, omnivorous cheesecakes were. The texture is still there for me, but not necessarily the, the, the flavor, the taste and the creaminess and that whole deal. And she just, uh, she had us all confused and just a dazed eating these big, beautiful slices of different flavors of cheesecake that, you know, just looks like cheesecake, but it's vegan, you're vegan, or, you know, just that uh, real great confusion. And she's still doing that you know, some 20 years later now with the vegan cheeses and now I've just had the vegan butter. In fact, I'll probably have some after we're done here on some uh, baguette this afternoon. Just as she keeps going, uh, the thing I like to see with many creatives and just people in their lives, as I, particularly as I get older, is how we shift and reinvent and change and often try to get better about aligning with what calls us forward in life, personally and professionally. I think she has definitely uh, followed her muses uh, and continues to. That, to me, is very, very inspiring. So she's she's one, certainly in the vegan community. There are many others in and out of the community. But that she keeps going, and she really does have... A, she's multi-talented and just on and just really exciting. Don't necessarily know what she's going to do next. I don't think she knows necessarily at this point. In a bigger sense, obviously the cheeses and now the butters will keep coming. That that has impact on me and gives me a lot of inspiration. What is your biggest struggle? Probably working too much. My goal this year is to be more social. I have to be careful. I go to a lot of the vegan events and sometimes I end up back sort of on duty in that business worker mind head, which I do love. Um, sometimes said for that. Um, at the same time, I have to be more realistic about when I'm when I really need to be off duty and when I'm off duty, and just have fun that isn't uh, work fun or professional fun, um, which is fine in of itself, but not the same as sitting back and listening to a new album. Or I was dazzled right before he died by uh, just taking uh, listened to about half the album, and I went back to work to listen to the rest. But listening to David Bowie's Black Star, not necessarily a big. Uh, Bowie person. I don't know his catalog that well, but I certainly know bits and pieces. I think I have a couple of early albums here digitally. So that's the biggest struggle is more fun off duty. A lot of my fun often uh, just sort of mixes professional and personal is going to eat on food crawls over near you guys in Philly and out in SoCal, Southern California, the LA Orange Counties areas, and hopefully some other locations uh, this year, maybe vegan mecca portland Oregon. uh what has been your biggest victory i'm not sure at this point in my life i i a number of friends and, and and allies and such i think would say i think quantitatively helping to or not helping midwiving vegetated and producing it uh as a product as a brand 
as a as a as a thing out in the world, not to be confused with the the, the creation of it, which is a, a is an important uh, and different process. Quantitatively, I think there are a lot of numbers we could pull for that. I think including that, though, the biggest victory for me at this point is the way in multiple communities, certainly vegan community, and I'm also an astrologer and astrology community and other communities, I think I'm able to nudge and sometimes push people into a better, into their lane better or lanes, depending on what we're talking about, that I really cherish and appreciate and I'm trying to do more of that, uh, particularly the deeper I get into crowdfunding, which in some ways is really sort of uh, uh, interim or uh, interim business plan kind of exercise um, that has different formalities to it than a, a traditional business plan. But I think the biggest victory is really helping people to align with where they are going across my personal and professional life, Inclu- including vegetative by no stretch. I think if you take away the product, so to speak, and, and all of that, the way I say, jokingly say that I'm, quote, business married to Marisa has been really powerful in a number of ways. That will take me a long time to fully comprehend, but really important to think about collaboration. I mean, film doesn't happen without it. It, it just doesn't. There's no Prince of Film, and even Prince, in mu- the musician Prince, my favorite. Even he collaborates on stage, right? Uh, up until you know a couple weeks ago when he's on stage by himself. But that's a whole different process, even for him. But film takes a village, if not a few villages, to make it happen with key people. So Marisa being the key and certainly the mother of the film uh, and the brand. What are you grateful for? Two things. One in the longer scope and certainly relevant to this conversation. I'm glad, if a little bit daunted, that I went vegan so early. Well, maybe even in a bigger term than that. I'm glad for self-awareness to correct myself on my life journey um, ongoing. What is the best way for people to contact you? Email. I'm an email fiend. I've (laughs) considered getting rid of my phone in recent days. Not because I don't love it as a tool, but I don't really use my phone minutes. Uh, case in point here, we're not using the phone, uh, which is great. Um, email. They can, people can email me at uh, what's probably easier to spell is dbagley at vegand.net. That's D-B-A-G-L-E-Y at vegan, D as in Demetrius or dog or delicious. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grape Cat Vegan Fashion and Business Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find the show notes at grapecat.com. Do us a favor before you go, please take a few seconds to rate this podcast. It is a key way to get this podcast higher in the ranks, which will make it more accessible to people who truly need this information. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Make sure you never miss a future episode of this podcast by subscribing. If you have any questions or guest ideas, please send them to podcast at grapecat.com. Thank you for dressing compassionately. Creating a vision, seeking our passion. Great cat, compassion, fashion. Made in the US, eco friendly. High quality without getting all spendy. We create the best, bringing it to you. Shirts, coats, wallets, everything we do. Dress with compassion, we're a vegan store. Grapecat.com. 